Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone and this is The Roger Stone Show. Here on 77 WABC, where we're working hard to make AM radio great again. For the next two hours, from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock Eastern Time, that's our new time, by the way, we'll be here talking news, politics, history, style, culture, pretty much anything you want to talk about. So don't touch that dial at 770 AM, perhaps the most powerful and influential AM radio signal in America today. In fact, uh, I actually recommend that you go now to the App Store to download the 77 WABC radio app on your cell phone. I'd do it right now if I were you. That way you don't miss any of the most amazing lineup of talk radio commentary and entertainment anywhere on AM radio today. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Sid Rosenstein, Friends in the Morning, uh, where you find out what happened overnight and you get the breaking news. There's my friend Larry Kudlow, the apostle of economic growth, the man who quarterbacked the revitalization of America's economy under President Donald Trump. He's here on Saturdays. If you want to know what's going to happen in the future economy, well, there's no better way than to tune in to Larry Kudlow on Saturdays. Of course, there is the legendary Cindy Adams, the queen of gossip, who always has the inside skinny on what's going on in New York and Hollywood and every place in between. You've got the offbeat and always provocative Frank Morano. If you're a night owl, you definitely want to catch his other side of midnight program. Uh, I'd, of course, be remiss if I didn't mention America's mayor, the greatest mayor in New York City history, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. You don't want to miss his son, Andrew Giuliani, either. Some of the very best programming we have here at 77 WABC. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my old friend, Dominic Carter, who I know back to his New York One days. He always has his fingers on the pulse of New York. Uh, And then uh, late night, uh, Rita Cosby, one of uh, the most incisive radio journalists in history, always breaks down that day's news with a guest lineup that, well, in all honesty, always blows my mind. Then, of course, there's 
Katz and Cosby. That's John Katz and Matidis and Rita Cosby. Uh, they're on every day at 5 during the week, uh, 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, this is uh, almost always with a first-rate roundtable of experts uh, to bring you the breakdown of that day's news and what to look for going forward. So download that 77 WABC radio app so you don't miss a single bit of it, including our show, uh, The Roger Stone Show, here from 4 to 6 Eastern on Sundays. Now, if you uh, are away from the radio or you aren't uh, fortunate enough to live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, we have an enormous reach, folks. Uh, you can always listen to us at wabcradio.com. Uh, the large number of people who are emailing and texting me, uh, calling me, telling me that they're listening there, well, that's heartening, too. But whatever you do, you don't want to miss anything here uh, at 77 WABC. Coming up on today's show, veteran journalist Lee Smith will talk about what the Biden administration knew about the recent attack on Israel in Gaza and when they knew it. Uh, that is uh, going to be one of our more interesting segments. But in the meantime, uh, in the past week, Republicans, uh, after much chaos, have selected uh, their leader. Uh, in the storied annals of American politics, for me, as a veteran of 45 years in the American political arena, few moments stand out as turning points that could define not only the trajectory of a party, uh, but also uh, the trajectory of the country. Today, as we congratulate Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana, now Speaker Mike Johnson, uh, on his election last week, uh, we recognize that not only is this the elevation of a deserving leader, but it could even be a dawn of a new era for the National Republican Party. What is it you say? You never heard of Mike Johnson before last week? I think in all honesty, a few Americans had. Uh, but for those of us who have watched the political landscape for the last four decades, Mike Johnson's rise to the speakership is his testimony to his unwavering commitment to principles that really have long defined the Republican Party. Uh, he is a low-key, hardworking, widely respected member. Uh, he's a workhorse, not a show horse. His tenure in Congress has been marked by an unyielding dedication to the people he represents, uh, but more importantly, perhaps at this juncture, steadfast support for President Donald Trump. Uh, he, in fact, uh, represented Donald Trump uh, as part of the House defense team in both of the impeachment prosecutions uh, in the uh, Republican, uh, pardon me, in the Senate during the Senate trials. So now, uh, and I think this is important, you have a Republican leader who is in sync with the titular head of the Republican Party. Make no mistake about it, folks. This is Donald Trump's Republican Party 
at the grassroots. In the 45 years that I've been in American politics, I've looked at a lot of polling. Yeah, I worked for Richard Nixon. I worked for Ronald Reagan. I did a little work for the Bushes, but I never saw this kind of loyalty, this kind of intensity, this level of support in any previous presidential contest. So the real question, of course, is how will things change? You see, late last week, uh, it actually appeared that Tom Emmer of Minnesota, most definitely not a Trump Republican, but who had been whip of the House Republicans uh, under uh, the previous leader, Kevin McCarthy, might actually emerge uh, as the new speaker. Uh, the absolute truth of this, as revealed by Politico magazine, is that, well, uh, Mr. Emmer called President Trump, tried to butter him up. I love Donald Trump, but I won't tell you that he isn't susceptible to flattery, uh, and told him how much he loved him. Unfortunately, Mr. Emmer's record in the Congress did not match that rhetoric. So the absolute truth is that President Donald Trump started hitting the phones, uh, and it wasn't long before he had a hardcore group of 26 House Republicans who would not vote for Mr. Emmer uh, under any circumstances. Uh, Emmer was very wise, not wanting to put the country through the 15 individual ballots that previous speaker Kevin McCarthy uh, had to endure before getting to the speakership and making a large number of concessions to get there. Uh, and he saved his country and the party a substantial embarrassment by withdrawing his candidacy. But beyond the legislative accomplishments and political affiliations, what I think really sets Mike Johnson apart is his ability to unify. I don't know a single Republican member of Congress, and I know many of them, who has a bad word to say about him. Uh, he is a gentleman, respected for his word, respected for his courtesy to colleagues, and the ability to get along with others is an absolute key to getting anything done in Washington. So the real question is, with new speaker Mike Johnson's leadership style, marked by a blend of, blend of conviction and compassion, uh, can he use this respect and admiration by colleagues in, on both sides of the aisle to get things done. Let's be specific. Some conservatives, some Republicans today are upset about his initial comments late last week regarding funding for Ukraine. Just as there was uh, a turning against the war in Vietnam, I sense in the country today uh, a turning against the mass funding of the war uh, in Ukraine. 
but uh, what I don't think the American people want is to see funding for Ukraine, funding for our beleaguered ally Israel, and yes, this part's a little hard to believe, $100 million in humanitarian aid for Hamas in Gaza, all lumped into one bill. You see, what I think Mike Johnson, the new speaker, understands is that legislating is a process of give and take. And his highest priority, as he has made abundantly clear, uh, is to seal our southern border. Policies and funding to seal our southern border. We know that at least 281 FBI-identified terrorists have crossed uh, our southern border along, sadly, with literally millions and millions of others. And therefore, I ask you, uh, how long will it possibly be before we have a terrorist attack on American citizens on American soil? God forbid. I pray against that every single day. So what I see here is uh, Speaker Johnson doing some horse trading. You can look for other reforms that I think you wouldn't have had under Speaker McCarthy. Profound changes, first of all, on how we just fund our government. No more huge, omnibus, uh, continuing resolutions uh, in which they lump uh, all funding for the federal government, including the war in Ukraine, uh, assistance to Israel, uh, the aforementioned humanitarian assistance uh, to Hamas, uh, uh, law enforcement uh, funding, uh, judicial department funding, domestic funding, into one continuing resolution in which, frankly, no member of Congress actually has the time or the ability to read all of it before the vote. I also think we're finally going to see the release of the January 6th federal government camera footage. Perhaps this will answer a lot of questions. Uh, but the most important thing, I think, will be the decoupling uh, of all our financing in one omnibus package. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention the pivotal role played by uh, North Florida Congressman Matt Gates in Speaker Johnson's election. Gates, uh, who's a friend of mine, with his characteristic zeal and passion for conservative values, was really instrumental in rallying support for Johnson. In fact, if Matt Gates had not utilized the rule changes that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was literally forced to acquiesce to, rules that had been in place for over 100 years that uh, allowed any single member of the House to move to vacate the chair, that means move to remove the Speaker of the House because the Speaker had violated his commitments to the House majority, well, we would not have uh, Mike Johnson uh, as the new Speaker today. 
Matt Gates's efforts underscore the importance of solidarity in those who uh, believe in shared goals. Uh, and I frankly think his partnership with Johnson, after all, he sat next to Johnson in the uh, House Judiciary Committee hearings uh, for the last two years, have a great promise, specifically uh, in the area of uh, further uh, public exposure of Hunter Biden and the Biden crime family. In fact, we learned this week uh, that the FBI had over 40 individual human source reports of corruption by Joe Biden and members of his family, uh, and that uh, contrary to what Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland said, uh, the U.S. attorney in Pittsburgh investigating that found that those claims had merit, sent those claims to U.S. attorneys in California, Delaware, uh, and uh, Washington, D.C., where they very quietly died. Mike Davis, uh, the former chief counsel to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, is going to join us today to talk about that and other uh, important issues uh, that uh, are going to be in the forefront now that you have a House Speaker with the courage to use the subpoena power that, uh, well, frankly, House Democrats used when they controlled the House Intelligence Committee uh, or when they executed the January 6th committee kabuki investigation. That's the, uh, the committee which had no supporters uh, of President Donald Trump on it, the committee in which House Speaker Nancy Pelosi actually rejected uh, any of the nominees of the Republican leader. It's going to be exciting because, frankly, I see a sea change coming in Washington. If you're just tuning in, uh, this is Roger Stone. This is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC. Uh, please take a moment to download that app, folks. But whatever you do, don't touch that dial at 770 AM if you're fortunate enough to be where I grew up in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. Recent actions in the Middle East have really changed the scope of the entire political debate in America. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Douglas Murray uh, of the New York Post tells us late last week that there's little danger of American troops or military being involved in the upcoming uh, conflagration uh, in which uh, only yesterday, uh, or I guess the day before yesterday, John Bolton, the former national security advisor, said uh, that the Biden administration was restraining the Israeli government of Bibi Netanyahu in terms of telling them what targets they can hit, uh, what military hardware they can use. To me, this is disturbing. See, I think these recent Actions in the Middle East have changed the scope of political debate in the country forever in a way that puts the Make America 
agenda into jeopardy and could, in fact, re-empower the neoconservatives who actually undermined President Donald Trump from the very start of his first term. See, uh, Mr. Murray tells us in the New York Post that there's little chance that America will get involved. Yet, um, we read in Friday's New York Post uh, that the U.S. Air Force was hitting Hamas targets in Syria. To me, well, that is involvement. The despicable Hamas terror attacks against Israel have galvanized the world, myself included, behind the Jewish nation, and rightfully so. Without a shadow of a doubt, Israel has the right to defend itself against radical Muslim groups like Hamas and their allies, such as Iran and Hezbollah, with as much deadly force as they see fit. Yes, we need to have a robust debate in the Congress, which I think we'll now have under Speaker Johnson, on whether America should support uh, Israel not only with military aid, which I strongly favor, uh, but I don't think we need to be looking at the use of our Air Force uh, or boots on the ground. General Michael Flynn joined us here uh, on 77 WABC in the Roger Stone Show just uh, two weeks ago, and he expressed his concern that the heavy-duty aircraft carriers that we sent to the region could be sitting ducks for anti-ship missiles that we know the Iranians uh, are in possession of. This is not like the situation in Ukraine where uh, more money should just be dumped into the hands of corrupt interests. Uh, but one thing that should never be considered is whether more American blood should be spilled in the Middle East to defend Israel's sovereignty. Support, yes. Armaments, yes. Bullets, yes. Moral support, yes. Troops? I don't think so. You see, the usual suspects, the neocon warmongers who opposed President Trump before he was elected and then subverted much of his agenda once he was in the White House, are again exploiting the dire situation to bang the drums of war once again. Uh, I'm talking about uh, people I respect, like Ben Shapiro of The Daily Wire or Mark Levin, sometimes heard on this uh, very channel. Uh, they seem to be salivating at the thought of war against Iran, a notion which they have been promoting, frankly, for over a decade. Any military conflict with Iran, which includes American troops, would be at least as disastrous, in my opinion, uh, as the mistakes we made in Iraq, Afghanistan, and yes, in Libya in recent years. Seems to me like many of my fellow conservatives have apparently developed a case of amnesia when it comes to foreign policy. They have readopted the familiar September 11th mindset, believing that American military might could bomb its way into achieving goals in the Middle East. 
the repeatedly failed military efforts uh, in those other countries seem to have taught them nothing. This is the type of hubris that lends itself to develop into late-stage empires, which they collapse into oblivion. But those of us who support President Trump should be wise not to fall into that trap and risk squandering the monumental political shift caused by the entire rise of the uh, policy that puts America's interest, both domestically uh, and uh, in foreign policy, first. I fear that some of the neocons hope to use the Israeli-Palestine conflict to shift away from the America First agenda of Donald Trump and back to the globalist, interventionist-oriented Republican Party that was uh, dominant during the time of George W. Bush. How did that work out? Remember, this was the Republican Party that ultimately was extraordinarily popular immediately after 9-11 and then squandered that popularity in endless foreign wars uh, in which the immediate goals uh, of the uh, United States of America were never clear. This in turn paved the way for Antifa, uh, and uh, Black Lives Matterists uh, running to the streets. We have to remember that every conflict should be viewed through the lens of what is best for America first and foremost. This does not mean we shirk our responsibilities to stand with the oppressed, particularly Christians and Jews in Israel, and aim to prevent history's worst atrocities from reoccurring. We must realize that much of what America does abroad only exacerbates tragedies and makes turmoil dramatically worse. America deposed the secular tyrant Saddam Hussein, uh, and what replaced him was a far worse radically Islamic uh, extremist government, uh, which then, of course, occupied Afghanistan for decades, Uh, And, of course, a return of the power of the Taliban, which only grew as a result. We saw Libya disintegrate after Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown. And Europe has had to deal with a Muslim invasion that poses an existential threat to Western civilization uh, in the aftermath across the board. There is so much to talk about today. Also joining us will be Dinesh D'Souza, who is the producer-director of the exciting new film, Police State, which opened to rave reviews just this past week. Both Dinesh and I have uh, some direct, specific experience with the police state. So you're definitely going to want to hang on for that. So please don't touch that dial. Uh, This is The Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC. Uh, We're going to delve into some pretty exciting stuff today, including domestic infiltration into our government by 
Islamic radicals, perhaps the greatest single spy scandal since, well, the days of Alger Hiss. So leave it right there on the 770 on the AM dial. I'm Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show. I hope you've got a pot of my Sunday gravy, you might call it marinara sauce, uh, on the stove. Needs to cook for about four hours, so I think the gravy could be done, well, by the time we finish today's show. So I hope you've got some uh, linguine uh, so, or some uh, rigatoni or maybe some penna standing by. Uh, that way you can have some of the very best of AM radio along with some of the greatest Italian food in America. Yes, it was my grandmother's recipe. Uh, we had it on the show two weeks ago. I can't give it out every week, folks. I know I get a lot of calls and text messages asking for that. Uh, but we will remind you from time to time that uh, if you live in the New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia area, well, some of us call it gravy, others call it sauce. All that matters is it's good. This is the Roger Stone Show. Buckle your seatbelts because away we go. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. This is Roger Stone, and this is the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio. I want to remind you, you can listen to us at 770 on the AM dial if you live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. Or if you're out of town, you can listen to our great interviews at WABCRadio.com. Uh, we're very edified by the large number of people uh, that grows every single week who listen to us online. Uh, but above all, I want to remind you to take just a few minutes to get the 77 WABC radio app downloaded to your phone so you don't miss any of the great commentary or entertainment that we offer right here at 77 WABC. Today's interview uh, is an excellent example. Uh, joining me momentarily is Lee Smith. Lee Smith is a veteran journalist whose work appears in Tablet Magazine, uh, Real Clear Investigations, as well as The Federalist. Uh, Lee Smith has worked in media for 30 years, writing about national politics, foreign policy, uh, well, and the media. Uh, Lee Smith reported from the Middle East for a decade after 9-11 and those attacks and wrote the critically acclaimed The Strong Horse, Power, Politics, and the Clash of Arab Civilizations. Uh, Lee Smith uh, is also the screenwriter, screenwriter behind the critically acclaimed documentary 
the plot against the president, in which I got to play a cameo role, uh, as well as writing uh, for the Daily Wire and their docu-series, China, the Enemy Within. Uh, you've seen and heard Lee Smith as a frequent guest on television and radio, national and international, including Fox News, CNN, France 24. Uh, there is no working journalist in America today that I respect more than Lee Smith, and I am honored to welcome him to The Roger Stone Show today. Roger, thank you for that hugely kind introduction. It's great to be with you, and thank you much for uh, for the invitation for today. Thanks so much. Well, as you know, we tried to get you on last week, uh, but uh, we had technological issues, so I'm very, very grateful to you for being able to join us today. Uh, you wrote uh, what I thought was one of the most uh, interesting and important pieces uh, in the... Uh, uh, in the run-up to what has transpired uh, in Gaza, uh, and it is what motivated me to reach out to you. Uh, I kind of wish I had done it sooner. Your piece, which appeared at Tablet Magazine, entitled, The Biden Administration Tries to Hide What It Knew About the Impending Massacre, that's in Gaza, mm. while leaving U.S. backing for Iran untouched. Uh, subhead, uh, the D.C. blame game is about avoiding responsibility while protecting a policy that is written in blood. Let me just read the first paragraph to set the table. The uh, continuing uh, proliferation of conflicting and conjectory stories leaked by U.S. intelligence services regarding what they knew and, more importantly, what they didn't know about the planning for Hamas's assault on Israel is more than a D.C. bureaucratic comedy act. Taken together, the profusion of leaks suggesting that there are people in offices and agencies across the Beltway who are worried that they'll be blamed for missing signals uh, and for human intelligence outlining plans for the largest one-day massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. Uh, Lee, what's going on here? I think a really important thing for for um, your great audience to understand, and lots of people, um, th there's a lot of play acting here, um, especially the Biden administration, but a lot of uh, our friends, a lot of people on our side are misreading this. They're presenting this as a scenario that will um, draw in the United States into a wider regional-wide conflict. And what I'm trying to explain through this piece and other work I've been doing, um, I mean, this, uh, this work actually goes back uh, past a decade, is to show how first Barack Obama and now Joe Biden, their central foreign policy initiative is to partner with the Islamic Republic of Iran. So when we have different people, especially people on the right who who are uh, righteously concerned uh, uh, about the United States getting involved in another Middle East war or any conflict at all? I'm, I'm, I agree. I'm 100 percent. Uh, I'm 100 percent behind them. But that's not what's happening here. The uh, Joe Biden administration has partnered 
with the Islamic Republic of Iran. And as I wrote in another article earlier in Tablet, they in fact have an Iranian agent who's working at the Pentagon. Right? This this woman has top secret security clearances. Um, so what the Biden administration is doing, it's it's disguising its deterrence of Israel. Right? That, that that that's why there's uh, been a delay. The ground invasion of uh, ground in Israel's ground invasion of Gaza, because the Biden administration is doing everything within its power to prevent it. The particular article that we're talking about, um, w- w- my argument here again is that there's plenty of evidence that the United States um, had different pieces of intelligence to understand what was going on. I'd say most importantly, meeting between senior Iranian uh, officials and the leaders of Hezbollah and Hamas in Beirut uh, last spring. So the United States had plenty of indication that there was something, something big going on. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to bury this. They're trying to bury uh, the involvement of Iran. They're trying to involve how much they knew about it, again, to protect their partnership. That's the central aim right now of the Biden administration in the Middle East. It's not to defend Israel. Right? It's not to deter. Um, it's not to de- deter, never mind destroy Hamas. It's to protect their relationship with Iran. This was Barack Obama's central foreign policy initiative. And it's Biden's, too. I mean, uh, Ukraine, he fell into, right? But the main project is Iran. <coughs> that that appears to, to be the case. You have an interregnum there in which, of course, President Donald Trump uh, put crushing sanctions on Iran, uh, effectively cut off funding uh, for Hamas, uh, really stymied Iran's oil production, from mm-hmm. which they get huge resources, uh, pretty clear to me that s- former Secretary of State John Kerry spent the four years of the Trump administration conducting his very own foreign policy, I think in violation of the Logan Act. Private citizens cannot conduct their own private foreign policy, uh, but in our two-tier justice system, uh, I doubt that he will be prosecuted for that. What I guess I don't understand is why people who know full well uh, that not Hamas, not Hezbollah, not the Muslim mm-hmm. Brotherhood, not the Iranians, they have no interest in peace. They have no interest in a negotiated peace. They have no interest in coexistence. Mm-hmm. So how can you reach agreement with such people. Right. I, I, I think that more people now are starting to see, to see that that's the case. I mean, you know, what happened on October 7th? I mean, what, what happened, what Hamas did? I mean, it's, it's, it's unspeakable. Um, and I think, think, uh, I think, thank goodness, that most Americans are starting to understand what's happened. Again, w- one of my big concerns here is, Roger, you, you, you described uh, the Trump administration's Iran policy and Middle East policy um, generally perfectly. And, and I think a lot of people need to look um, all the different uh, all the different times that Hamas has fired on Israel and there's been large conflicts. It's the end of the Bush administration, 2008, 2009, Barack, uh, Barack Obama administration, 2012, 2014. 
uh, Joe Biden 2021 and now 2023. None of this happened under Donald Trump. Right. With Donald Trump, as you say, Donald Trump withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal. Donald Trump killed uh, killed a master terrorist, uh, Iran's uh, Quds Force commander, Qasem Soleimani, who was killing Americans in Iraq and helping kill Americans in Afghanistan. So th- that that's a very major thing. It's not just Donald Trump's strength, though. That's what I want to say. It's not just his... his his strength as a president, it's that the administration that he led understood what Barack Obama had done with the Iran deal to empower the Islamic Republic of Iran. So again, it wasn't just uh, Trump's strength, as important as that was, it was also the strategic understanding, the wisdom to see what was going on and how dangerous that was. And of course, this is what Joe Biden uh, is doing everything to restore the partnership with Iran. So the, 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 this again, this is the larger picture, I think, in which we people need to understand what's happening right now in southern Israel, what's happening in Gaza, that this goes um, this goes far beyond Israel, goes far beyond Gaza, goes all the way to Tehran, and it goes all the way to the Biden White House. That's what's happening here. That's the real that's the real dance. It's Joe Biden. And um, it's Joe Biden and the supreme leader uh, of Iran, Ali Khamenei. Uh, is this not, in fact, really the third term of the of the Obama administration? Yes, yes I, 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 you know, I absolutely agree. And you know, Roger, one of the strange things I'm sure that you found as well watching TV. I mean, you know, watching conservatives on TV or reading conservative press. I mean, people go back and forth between Joe Biden is incompetent uh, and, 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 and mentally um, mentally challenged right now, cognitively challenged, right? And also Joe Biden is a super, super sinister master villain who's done all these different things at once. I mean, we, we can't really have both things going on at the same time. I think that what we've seen, the number of Obama officials who are in the Biden administration, the fact that in 2020 they knew that Joe Biden was having cognitive difficulties yeah, I think that's pretty clear evidence that um, that Barack Obama uh, is is the guy who's who's finally calling the the major shots here. Uh, I want to go back uh, and quote again from something you wrote, which I think is uh, extraordinarily experience, uh, important. Uh, writing for Tablet Magazine, you said uh, the Biden administration's now suspended Iran envoy Robert Malley. Uh, helped to fund, support, and direct an Iranian intelligence operation designed mm-hmm. to influence the United States and allied governments, according to a trove of purloined Iranian government emails. Mm-hmm. These emails, which were reported by a veteran Wall Street Journal correspondent, Jay Solomon, who in this case was writing for Semaphore, uh, and by uh, Iran International, the London-based emigre opposition outlet, which is most widely read independent news source inside Iran, were published uh, only weeks ago after being extensively verified over a period of several months by the two outlets. They show that Mali, uh, who I believe has been suspended pending FBI investigation, uh, had helped to infiltrate an Iranian agent of influence named pronounce her last name, 
Chabatabai, I guess it is, uh, into some yeah, of the most, pretty close, uh, into the most sensitive positions in the U.S. government, first at the State Department and now at the Pentagon, where she continues to serve as Chief of Staff for Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations. This appears to me to be the greatest single infiltration of U.S. government since uh, Alger Hiss. Pretty shocking, isn't it? And, um, and she's still there. That, that's, that's the amazing thing. But what, what does this tell us? This underscores the point that we were making before, um, Roger, about, about saying that the, the central thing that people need to be watching here is the Biden White House, and um, the clerical regime in Tehran. This is what's going on. The reason that she's still there is because that they believe that Iran is a partner. Why do they have to worry uh, about a foreign agent who's working for a partner? Right? They're not concerned about that. She's doing. She, she's doing. She's doing the work that they can't trust to Americans. Right? I mean, to, I mean to real Americans, to red-blooded Americans who would say, you know what? I think I actually happen to think it's a really bad idea to, to, to legalize the, the uh, industrial-sized nuclear weapons program of a terrorist state like Iran. But with an Iranian agent, they have no concern. So go and do the work that Barack Obama is about. And what is that about? That's help, help us get them a bomb, right? We're going to pass them hundreds of billions of dollars. And that's something, that's something very important for people to understand, again, as we're watching this unfold that it's not just the 16 billion dollars that the united states has made available to iran over the last four months we're talking about since the obama years it's been hundreds of billions of dollars in sanctions relief as donald trump uh, put an end to that but between obama and biden they had access to hundreds of billions of dollars so what does that tell us that tells us it's not just what they spend the money on, whether they spend the money on Hamas or Hezbollah. Giving that much money and legalizing their bomb, this is a sign of partnership. The reason I want to keep underscoring this, Roger, is because we have a lot of, uh, uh, again, a lot of, um, uh, even a lot, a lot of pro-Trump people on the right who are misunderstanding this, right? And it's not just misunderstanding. They're basically serving as part of Barack Obama's echo chamber. They keep saying, oh, no, the neocons are going to drag us into war. Here comes World War III. No, no, Armageddon looks like this. Armageddon looks like the Biden administration getting Iran the bomb. That's the trouble. That's what's going on here. Joe Biden is not in the Middle East like the Iranians. He's in the Middle East to partner with the Iranians. And it's really important that people understand that. And the larger argument I'm making here is not that the United States should be sending troops. Definitely not. My larger point is that for us as a country and for us as a movement, we need to see things clearly. If we're going to wind up selling Barack Obama's talking points about a terror state, we're in big trouble. And we can't expect Donald Trump or anyone to save us from that. We have to save ourselves. And that starts with clarity, not just moral clarity, but intellectual clarity as well. So, again, I urge people um, on the right to understand the real play here. It's not that Joe Biden is starting World War Three. 
by defending our uh, long-term traditional American ally, the state of Israel. It's because he's partnering with Iran. That's the issue. Uh, Folks, uh, if you're just tuning in, this is 77 WABC Radio. I'm Roger Stone. This is uh, The Roger Stone Show, and we're talking to veteran journalist uh, Lee Smith, uh, who has written uh, a extraordinarily important piece and pieces, I should say, for Tablet Magazine, among others. Uh, And we are talking uh, about uh, the events uh, in the Middle East. Uh, what amazes me about uh, uh, this woman who's still in the U.S. government, mm-hmm. Ariana Tabatabi, I guess it is, uh, is that she doesn't even hide who she is. On social mm-hmm. media, she continues uh, to attack Israel. She continues to promulgate uh, or promote uh, the views of Hamas, yet she's, she's still in place. This is virtually unthinkable. Where, where is the FBI? Um, I think this, you know, in, in, in my work, I've been extremely writing about Russiagate and writing about other things and the terrible things they did to you, Roger, and the terrible things they did to General Flynn and the terrible things they've done to, to lots of Americans. But this is one case in which I kind of have to give the FBI a break, and that is because the shot... The, 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 what's happening, uh, the shots are being called by people way above the FBI, right? It's not like the FBI failed on their counterintelligence uh, duties here. What she was doing, they didn't even need to test her secret emails, though obviously they did. We know this now, right, about the FBI and the National Security Agency, that the National Security Agency has, has access to virtually anyone's communications in the world. Right. So so they know what she was doing. They know that she was in contact with senior Iranian officials. It's not their fault. They didn't miss it. It's people above were calling the shots and said, that's who we want here. We want her because of her work with high ranking Iranian officials. We want her because of her proximity and her contacts with the regime that's been killing Americans since night since its 1979 revolution that's what it is the administration wanted her there joe biden wanted her there barack obama wanted her there uh, how extraordinarily uh, ironic uh, that only weeks ago uh, jake sullivan uh, who was of course hillary clinton's national security advisor deeply involved in the russian collusion hoax mm-hmm. Uh, as uh, I have written and you have written, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, declared uh, this is an extraordinary period of calm uh, in the Middle East. Talk about uh, about bad judgment. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1973, uh, almost 50 years ago, I think two weekends ago, Uh, Israel was caught completely by surprise in the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Uh, And there was a surprise attack on Israel by the Syrians uh, and the Egyptians. Uh, And uh, Israel found itself very quickly uh, beleaguered, uh, out of ammunition, uh, and with their backs uh, to the Black Sea. Uh, It Mm. was then that Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir uh, appealed to 
Republican President Richard Nixon for the airdrop of lethal aid uh, that would save Israel from total annihilation. Uh, Nixon, uh, acting over the objections of his national security advisor, Henry Kissinger, acting over the objections of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, including Admiral Thomas Moore, then Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, acting against his own entire national security apparatus, uh, ordered uh, the delivery of that lethal aid uh, and essentially saved Israel from total annihilation. That has to be the greatest single intelligence uh, uh, failure since what has most recently occurred. Uh, we are told, I think reliably, uh, that the Egyptians uh, had advance notice of what would transpire. You point out uh, meetings that were held in the region uh, between a group of, of those hostile to the United States. Do you think that this was uh, either by the U.S. or perish the thought, Israel, uh, a willful looking the no. other way? to uh, to no. allow this to happen no and, and I, I that Egypt story isn't uh, isn't right either um, because the uh, I mean we give we give Egypt um, two billion dollars a year in aid and one of the things that that buys is it gets us uh, premieres of everything that the Egyptian army and the Egyptian intelligence collects in the region and that story was about how the Egyptians shared it with Israel and the first thing that would have struck people is like, wait, so they shared it with Israel, but not with the U.S., right? I mean, so I know that um, uh, Congressman McCall was saying that he'd been briefed on it. But again, I think it's very important for, for people on the right to understand the same people who are leaking to the press now, the same intelligence officials who are leaking stuff to the press now, lied about Donald Trump and the Trump administration for four years so any sort of intelligence that comes out of there, we should be very wary of. No, no, I think what happened, um, I think what happened in Israel is um, it's sort of like 1973 insofar as the Israelis had a lot of the pieces, but they weren't, they didn't read it right because they were biased, um, because they could, didn't believe it could happen. Among other things, because this, this very scenario uh, Hezbollah has been talking about this various this, this same scenario for a decade. So in some ways, the Israelis expected this to come from the north, but not from the south. So they weren't prepared in that way. Also, they believed as foolishly as Jake Sullivan does, uh, did, as you just read, the Israelis believed that everything was relatively calm on their southern border in Gaza. The other problem, and this is a very big problem for Israel, the other problem that Israel has is it's become over-reliant on technology, and it's become over-reliant on their Air Force. Um, so I, 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 those, to me, seem like the big, the big markers. There are other failures as well, I'm sure, that we'll be finding out over the next few months, next few years, probably next few decades. People will be writing dissertations on this in the, uh, in the decades to come, the failures that led to this. But no, I, I, I don't think there's any way. And I, I, don't, I don't think the Biden administration, I don't think the Biden administration w was intentionally looking the other way 
at a catastrophe or, or an attack this significant. I don't think anyone could have foretold the character or scale of this uh, Hamas assault. I do believe that the United States had some sort of indication, uh, had pretty clear signs that something big was in the works. It's unclear whether or not they shared that with Israel or whether or not Israel believed that too. But no, I don't think that anyone purposefully let a let an attack of, of, of this scale happen. Uh, I very much appreciate your clarification. That's a question we've gotten quite a few times here on the show. Uh, let me shift gears uh, in the few minutes that we have left. Uh, uh, you were deeply involved in the documentary film, The Plot Against the President. Uh, mm -hmm. You understand perhaps anybody, I don't think anyone in the country, better understands uh, the level uh, of uh, dishonesty and corruption involving mm -hmm. the entire Russian collusion hoax. We mm -hmm. now know definitively based on the special counsel report by John Durham, uh, who decimated the Steele dossier, but never bothered to touch on the fact that there is, to this day, still no evidence whatsoever that the Democratic National Committee was the target of an online hack by Russian intelligence. In fact, the, the head of CrowdStrike specifically denied that under oath and before the House Intelligence mm -hmm. Committee when he testified there. Are you, uh, are you, Lee, surprised uh, that none of the actors involved in this drama, not, not mm -hmm. obviously Barack Obama himself, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch, FBI Director James Comey, CIA Director John mm -hmm. Brennan, Acting Attorney General John uh, uh, Rod Rosenstein, we can go right on. We can go right on down the line. Andrew mm. McCabe, does it shock you that nobody, nobody will be held responsible? Yeah, I, 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 I am shocked um, and and surprised. I was surprised for a time. I think I understood in October 2020 when uh, then Attorney General William Barr was saying, yeah, there's not going to be any indictments, any reports before the election. And I mean, I'd been getting suspicious in the summer of 2020 because, Roger, I understood, I, I, I think what, what all Americans understood, that if people, um, if there was no, no one held accountable for interfering in the 2016 election, that the same people would be about the same work in the 2020 election. That's precisely what happened. So I, 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 I had taken uh, William Barr at his word. I believe that he was a man uh, of, of, uh, of great moral probity, and he was keen to see our, 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 our justice system uh, repaired. Um, I, I, I thought that, you know, I was very hopeful. There were people who you know, knew much more about what was going on than I did, like, um, like Congressman Nunes, like a lot of then-Congressman Nunes. Now, CEO of Truth Social and other people on his staff like Cash Patel. I mean, they were they were certainly hopeful that um, that the that the cr criminals and conspirators plotters against Donald Trump, Donald Trump's um, aides, Donald Trump's supporters and actually all of America, that they would be brought to justice. So, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised um, and and disgusted. And I'm certainly very hopeful that. Um, that uh, should Donald Trump win a second term, that this will be at the top of uh, 
this will be at the top of his agenda to make sure that people right, are held unfortunately, accountable. Uh, unfortunately, I'm afraid we are out of time. I want to thank Lee Smith, uh, a journalist for whom I have unbridled support uh, for joining us today on The Roger Stone Show. Lee, thank you so very much. Thank you, Roger. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show. Don't touch that dial at 770 AM, uh, or uh, if you're listening to us at wabcradio.com, stay tuned for what I think will be a great uh, interview uh, with documentary filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza is, of course, uh, the producer, director of 2000 Mules, uh, a movie which very profoundly affected the way we looked at the last presidential election. Uh, and now he is back uh, with a blockbuster new film, uh, which uh, debuted this past week. This uh, film, uh, which is called uh, Police State, uh, his, uh, I'm told, one of the shocking, most shocking and moving uh, films uh, in recent history. I have not yet seen it because, well, I intend to see it on November 1st at Mar-a-Lago, the same time uh, President Donald Trump uh, and others uh, see the film. But it is uh, my great privilege uh, and honor to welcome Dinesh D'Souza to The Roger Stone Show. Hello, Roger. It's great to be with you, and thanks for having me on. Uh, very, very much uh, uh, appreciate your being here to uh, talk about uh, this important film. Uh, we know that in the annals of history uh, that art has often educated and affected uh, public opinion. Uh, Oliver Stone's famous movie, JFK, uh, which took place decades after the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy, uh, actually engendered an entire uh, new look and review on that horrific event. I would argue in many ways changed uh, the direction of history. Uh, and um, I think uh, in many ways your last film, uh, 2,000 Mules uh, did the same thing. So uh, tell us now uh, uh, about uh, this uh, film, uh, Police State. Now, before you do that, let me say that uh, this entire subject is 
near and dear to my heart because as I think, thanks to CNN, uh, most Americans know on the morning of uh, January 25th, 2019, at six o'clock in the morning, uh, 29 fully SWAT clad FBI agents uh, arrived uh, at my home in the pre-dawn hours uh, in 17 armored vehicles. There was uh, a government uh, helicopter overhead, two FBI amphibious units uh, pulled up to the dock behind my house. I then lived on a canal. Unfortunately, I've been forced to move to much smaller and somewhat less grandiose quarters uh, these days. Uh, and uh, my home was surrounded and then, uh, uh, and then assaulted uh, by 29 FBI agents brandishing fully automatic uh, or fully semi-automatic M4 assault weapons for the purpose uh, of uh, arresting me for the non-violent first-time crime uh, of lying to Congress uh, under oath in my voluntary testimony to the House Intelligence Committee uh, in which the judge would later say that I lied to Congress to cover up for Donald Trump's involvement in Russian collusion, which we now know definitively never actually took place. So uh, I have a, a personal interest in this film. Uh, you yourself, uh, I've read your book, uh, Obama's America, uh, and I can see why you were motivated to make this film. Tell us uh, about the film. Tell us about the process of producing the film uh, and what really inspired you to put this cautionary production together and release it. Roger, the film is called uh, Police State. It could easily, in fact, it opens with a uh, scene of a massive uh, raid by the police agencies of government on a normal American family. It could easily have been a reconstruction of what happened at your house. The purpose of making the film is to alert the country that we are hurtling pretty rapidly uh, toward a police state. And what's a police state? It's a state in which essentially all our basic liberties are canceled out. When we think of police states abroad, places like North Korea, China, the old Soviet Union, those are places that are characterized by mass surveillance of citizens, um, by uh, systematic forms of censorship, by criminalization of political differences, the attempt to neutralize effective political opposition, sometimes lock up the leader of the opposition party, these are states characterized by political prisoners. And so I go down the checklist and I see that most, if not all, of those features are now present right here in America. So that's the essence of the film. The film shows a lot of um, whistleblowers and informants describing how this police state got started, how it is organized, who is running it. 
And then we also profile a number of, well, I would call them, you know, ordinary Americans going about their lives and nevertheless coming face to face with the police state. I think that it's important for people to see that and to experience it because we've never had a police state in America. And so a lot of Americans think, well, it might be happening abroad, but it will not. It can't happen here. But it is. Yeah, you know, you raise uh, an excellent point. Uh, the FBI themselves admit uh, admitted uh, in uh, 20, uh, 20, early 2023, a record number, I believe, in excess of one million warrantless searches uh, on Americans. This, to me, is unthinkable. Now they assure us that that has dropped very, very significantly. But frankly, I don't know why we should uh, believe them. Uh, some of the criticism of your film, and I haven't seen the film yet, uh, is that uh, much of your film is uh, dramatized. Uh, but what you're telling me is that you have a lot of first-person whistleblowers uh, in the film uh, telling their story firsthand. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, there's a fellow in Pennsylvania, Mark Houck, who uh, goes to a, uh, he's a pro-life activist, and he goes with his son as a kind of abortion clinic, uh, a, a street counselor to discourage women from getting abortions. Uh, a clinic counselor comes out and starts accosting the son, yelling at the two of them. Mark Houck, in the, in the heat of the, the moment, pushes the guy. He falls back. He's not harmed in any way, but nevertheless, he files a complaint. It's thrown out of court. And then the Biden administration swoops in and charges Mark Houck with, quote, interfering with reproductive services, the so-called FACE Act. And he's facing, I believe it was 15 years in federal prison. Now, this went to a jury, and the jury looked at it, and this has a happy ending. They threw it out within a couple of hours, so Mark Houck is a free man. He happens to have a lot of dash cam footage and footage of the event from the official raid on his house, which was very similar to the one on your house. So we show that in the film. But he also described with clinical accuracy what happened. We hired a couple of FBI agents and we recreated that scene for the opening of the movie. So there are some cinematic recreations, but they are done with clinical accuracy and they describe events that actually happened. They're also, you know, we label it when it's a recreation and when it's actual footage. So there's no difficulty that the audience has in telling which is which. Uh, it is, uh, it's extraordinarily chilling. In my case, uh, my attorneys had spoken to the special counsel's office uh, on the day before uh, my stunning arrest, which not only cost the taxpayers $1.1 million, uh, but in which very clearly CNN uh, was uh, tipped off in advance. Uh, that's not conjecture uh, on our part. Uh, I was arrested at 6.06 uh, in the morning uh, because my wife is uh, hard of hearing, uh, hearing impaired. Uh, she was unaware of the fact uh, that the FBI had uh, uh, brought a battering ram up to the front door as if I wasn't going to open the door uh, and uh, had arrested me. She uh, woke up uh, looking down the barrel of an assault weapon not knowing whether this was a home invasion 
uh, or what had uh, transpired. Uh, she was uh, perp-walked in her pajamas uh, and cuffs uh, outside my house. She's charged with no crime. Uh, this, I think, uh, is referred to in your film as maximum visual impact. Uh, the idea is to send a signal uh, to anyone else uh, who might be, uh, you know, resisting uh, and insisting uh, on the asserting their constitutional rights. Uh, the special counsels was in touch with my lawyers the day before I was arrested. They needed to simply say uh, that uh, they were I was going to be charged, even though I think the charges against me were I extraordinarily clever uh, construction because the government never produced any evidence of Russian collusion or WikiLeaks collaboration or, for that matter, any other crime. Uh, but that would not have provided CNN uh, its made-for-television moment. I was arrested at 6.06. Uh, at uh, 6.11, uh, a producer for CNN sent my lawyer by text a copy of my sealed indictment, an indictment that would not be unsealed for three hours later by a D.C. magistrate. Uh, and that, that indictment had no court markings, uh, had no timestamp, uh, but if you looked uh, at the uh, meta tags, you could see the initials of the prosecutor who wrote it. Uh, Andrew Weissman, uh, who now is a legal analyst uh, for MSNBC. Uh, this uh, it cost a million and a half, a million point uh, one million dollars, because the government was uh, on shutdown uh, for the next thirteen hours. FBI agents ransacked every square inch of my home, uh, every square inch of my nearby office. Uh, as well as an apartment I used to have in New York, but can no longer afford and gave up long ago. It's interesting to note that nothing whatsoever that was collected uh, in those searches in which the premises were left in a shambles uh, was used against me at trial. Uh, and then on November 3rd, 2020, only by court order, uh, because of a lawsuit filed by uh, uh, Zero Hedge, pardon me, that's incorrect, filed by BuzzFeed, uh, the Justice Department was forced to release uh, the long-redacted, long-hidden final sections of Robert Mueller's uh, ultimate report in which he admitted that he had found no evidence of Russian collusion no evidence uh, of WikiLeaks collaboration uh, on my part, and that even if he had, such acts would not have even been a crime. Nonetheless, uh, I have been the victim of the police state. We lost our home, uh, our savings, uh, most of our insurance, uh, our car, uh, my ability to move freely. Uh, I know you featured some of this in one of your previous films, for which I am grateful, but I have experienced uh, the police state uh, firsthand, uh, and it is 
it is indeed terrifying. Uh, if you're just tuning in, folks, uh, we're talking to Dinesh D'Souza, who is uh, the uh, producer, director of uh, the, uh, the phenomenal new film, Police State. Uh, let's take care of a piece of housekeeping business. Dinesh, tell people how they can see this film. Roger, the best place to see the film is to go to the website, which is policestatefilm.net, policestatefilm.net. The film uh, is available for streaming and purchase. Uh, DVDs are also available. So um, policestatefilm.net is the one-stop shop to buy your tickets. Uh, what uh, what kind of effort, uh, what kind of funding, uh, what kind of uh, uh, preparation goes into to making a powerful film like this? Well, typically uh, we have a small pool of investors that believe in the film and believe in the cause. Uh, they're not investing for money. They're investing because they want the information to get out. I try very hard to recover their investment in the market so I can give it back to them, so they can give it back to me, so I can then make my next film. So that's kind of my business formula. I call it recycled philanthropy. Uh, it takes me about six months beginning to end to make the film. And then, of course, we have to uh, distribute it. Uh, the film was uh, this past week in uh, theaters, in hundreds of theaters, and most of them were just jam-packed out. Um, and now it is available for streaming and for DVD. So it's very nice. People can watch the film at home. Um, it's streaming on the video platform called Rumble, and the cool thing about that is you can then, you can also watch it on your big screen TV. So it's a very important film. You know, this is uh, a Halloween um, a weekend leading up to Halloween, and the Halloween is a time when everyone does this kind of make-believe, um, a make-believe atmosphere of fear, but but police state is the real thing. You just described in chilling detail the kind of thing that I show visually, cinematically, and from a lot of different angles. I cover censorship, political targeting. Of course, Trump is in the center of the film because he's the primary target of the police state. Uh, but I also show how the police state endangers many ordinary Americans. Uh, and the experiences, and I think you'll identify with this phrase, it comes from Orwell, a boot stamping on a human face. That's what a police state is. Yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, just in terms of the terminology and the sloganing uh, that those on the left, uh, those who are engaging and pushing censorship in violation of the First Amendment, uh, those who are uh, clearly involved in mass warrantless surveillance in violation of the Fourth Amendment, uh, those uh, who in some cases would require us to get uh, vaccinated in violation of the Third uh, Amendment, uh, they are accusing us of endangering democracy. I mean, first of all, we're not a democracy anyway. We're a republic. We could be a democratic republic, but we're not a democracy. Uh, it is very interesting the way they try to seize the high ground uh, in terms uh, of the rhetoric, but I would argue that they're the ones uh, who are endangering democracy. 
Uh, of course, uh, but you are pointing out an important feature of our police state, which distinguishes it in some way from uh, full-fledged police states. You know, in the Stalinist um, environment of the Soviet Union, if somebody came to arrest you, uh, they would just uh, trap you, they would come to the train station, they would grab you, uh, no explanation given, uh, no questions answered, and off you go to prison, never to be seen from again. Uh, our police state is a kind of masquerade, and it marches behind the banner of saving democracy and upholding the rule of law and fighting for truth against misinformation and disinformation and even affirming freedom. So some, some Americans are a little bit taken in because when they look at Trump, for example, they see a courtroom, they see a judge. They see the formality, the bailiff, um, the kind of serene and somber atmosphere. And they think, okay, well, it must be on the up and up because their objections sustained and so on. They don't realize that it is possible to use the outward shell, the kind of uh, formulas of law, while hollowing it out from the inside. And that's really what our police state is doing. It's destroying our institutions and, and making a mockery of the practice of law, even while pretending to affirm the law. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. My uh, my wife of 39 years, a Cuban-American, uh, although born in the United States, uh, grew up in Havana. Uh, and in her case, uh, many of her relatives literally just disappeared in the middle of the night, never to be heard from again. Uh, no show was made of their address. Uh, of their arrest. Uh, in some ways, that is more more chilling, uh, I, I guess. Uh, but uh, let me ask you, do you think the film uh, is going to have an impact uh, on the coming presidential election? Well, I it's not directly made for that purpose, but I do think that um, the um, attacks on Trump are so evidently linked to blocking his candidacy, so clearly a form of election interference, that to the degree that the film exposes that, people are going to know what's going on. Look, you know, if they had gone to Trump and said that um, you have been holding on to these classified documents, you're very stubborn, you won't give them back, we need to file a criminal charge to make you give them back, and so we're filing a single charge. That would be unprecedented, uh, but it would be something we could look at. But the fact that it's, what, 90-plus charges in multiple jurisdictions, not just federal, but state, involving these Soros prosecutors with an up-shotgun approach of if we can't get him over here, we'll get him over there. I mean, this is so manifestly police state buggery. In fact, if it was happening in, in any other country, we would look at it and go, look at that. Look at that tyrannical society. They're making a mockery of the practice of democracy. Yeah, I'm interested in the uh, censorship aspects of this. Uh, with this film or with your previous films, uh, did you try taking any of those films to the Main streaming, uh, mainstream streaming services, and if so, what kind of reaction did you get? We found with 2,000 Mules that we were blocked in many different ways from normal types of distribution. And I should mention, and 
I haven't actually mentioned this publicly before, that with Police State, for example, we submitted it to Amazon to sell DVDs on Amazon, and they declined. Uh, we submitted it to Walmart uh, to sell DVDs, and they declined. Now, again, these are private companies. They are allowed to sell whatever they want. But isn't it telling that you've got a film, and quite frankly, it is describing events that are real. In fact, there's not a single challenge to a single fact in the film from anywhere, to my knowledge. And yet, they're like, we don't want this message to get out. Now, fortunately, we have other places where we can sell DVDs. So I would urge people to go to policestatefilm.net, support the film by watching and streaming it, but also pick up DVDs, which are a nice way to share the message with other people. Uh, going back to, to your, uh, your previous film, uh, 2000 Rules, uh, an extraordinary accomplishment. Uh, are you uh, are you satisfied with the public impact that that incredible film has had? Yeah, my films tend to um, they tend to sort of um, explode outward, and uh, people share them, and they also tend to have an increasing impact over time. So, the goal of a film is always to bring widespread public awareness, and so I've been very pleased and, and honored that my films have this kind of wide, wide reach, uh, despite being blocked at so many different quarters. And, um, and by the way, also Fox News, I didn't mention, but Fox News made no mention of 2000 Mules. At one point when uh, Carrie Lake mentioned it, the Fox host kind of almost turned ashen pale, and they've given no coverage, at least to date, to police state. Uh, really quite extraordinary. You have a, a big event coming up uh, on the first of the month uh, at uh, Mar-a-Lago, the president's uh, palatial uh, property in Florida, which, trust me, folks, is worth a lot more than $18 million, uh, as uh, determined by a civil judge in New York City. Tell us about that event. That is a, a private event. It's our red carpet uh, premiere. Uh, typically, uh, a red carpet premiere will have um, the uh, people who are in the film. It's kind of friends of the film, obviously, people who invested in the film. There'll be media there and some influencers. The idea is for them to see the film in a kind of grand setting, to talk about the film via the media. Uh, we'll also be doing some uh, interviews and streaming from the um, from the Mar-a-Lago property. This is all, this is November 1st, um, but the film is already, sometimes uh, the red carpet is before the film is released. But this film is out. Um, it has been in theaters for a couple of days, very successfully, now in streaming. So you can actually get ahead of the red carpet premiere and watch the film today uh, by going to, uh, by going to policestatefilm.net. Uh, actually, a group from my uh, church went and saw it last night. Uh, I would like to have gone with them, but unfortunately, uh, I had a conflict. Uh, but they told me that at the conclusion of the film, the film had a standing ovation. Uh, that, is, uh, that is quite a tribute to you, my friend. Well, it means a lot. Uh, I'm not giving away much when I say that at the end of the film, we have a moving scene uh, it's a January 6th political prisoner. Uh, it's late at night. He's in a cell. He starts singing by himself. He's joined by one guy, then another guy, then another guy into a kind of haunting chorus. So it's a, it's a very poignant, it's 
not entirely triumphant because there's a sadness built into it. It's a very profound way to end a film. And this is an experience I can promise you that you will find, if you watch this film, it, it, is, it is unforgettable. You should see it, Roger. Well, you will see it soon. Uh, but I'm urging people to see it right away, policestatefilm.net. All right. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. My great thanks uh, to my friend Dinesh D'Souza for joining us today to talk about this blockbuster film, uh, Police State. One more time, tell folks where they can see it. Uh, go to the website, policestatefilm.net. The film is, you can purchase it for streaming now. Uh, you can also buy DVDs, and it'll tell you where you can click and get those. Uh, policestatefilm.net. All right, there you have it, Dinesh D'Souza. Thank you so very much for joining us on The Roger Stone Show here at 77 WABC Radio. Thank you. It's The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Joining us now uh, is the former counsel to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, Mike Davis. Uh, he is also the head of the Article 3 project. He's uh, joined us before, uh, extraordinarily knowledgeable uh, about uh, Washington and its ways, uh, a fierce defender of uh, President uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and I appreciate very much, uh, Mike, you're joining us here today. Welcome uh, to The Roger Stone Show. Thank you for having me, Roger. Uh, there's really so much to talk about. It's almost hard to know where to start, but let's start at the most obvious place. Uh, in this past week, uh, or 10 days, I guess, uh, we have learned that three <coughs> of the defendants uh, in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, those being uh, author, uh, lawyer Kenneth Chesborough, who I do not know, I've never communicated with, uh, also, uh, Sidney Powell, who I've actually never met, but I'm certainly familiar with, uh, and now Jenna Ellis uh, have uh, pled to crimes, presumably uh, because they uh, will be utilized to testify uh, against President Donald Trump in those legal proceedings. Uh, Mike, what do you make of this? My, I actually think these pleas show the weakness of Fannie Willis's entire theory of the case, her racketeering or RICO theory, that you're somehow going to bring racketeering charges that you used to take down the mob to take down your political enemies. And I think Fannie Willis put so much pressure on these attorneys to, uh, to plead guilty to a crime, and it seems like she's having them plead guilty to pretty insignificant crimes, and she's going to recommend no jail time. So, so to me, again, that shows the weakness in her case. And even if these attorneys testify uh, for the prosecution in this case, I don't understand what they're going to testify to that's going to be problematic, because as I've said all along, it is not a crime to object to presidential elections. It's specifically allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887. And if it were a crime to object to presidential elections, you would have Democrats like Al Gore and John Kerry and Hillary Clinton 
in prison for objecting to Republican presidential wins in 1968, 2000, 2004, and 2016. And if it were a crime to twist arms politically, which is allowed by the First Amendment, every politician in America would be in jail. Uh, and if it were a crime to be a jerk in politics, just about every politician in America, except for Chuck Grassley, the nicest guy in Washington, would be in, j- in jail. So this, the, these plea agreements don't show that Fannie Willis is, is, is zeroing in on Trump. I think it shows that she's trying to cut bait. Yeah, just for the clarification of our listeners, uh, Fannie Willis is the Fulton County prosecutor and elected Democrat, uh, who, uh, to be clear, has, has received very substantial funding for her election from uh, Trump critic George Soros. But I want to clarify that for uh, for our listeners. Uh, in the 45 years that I have been in the American political arena, uh, I've never quite seen anything like this. Uh, late last week, uh, there was a fury flurry of stories, all of them seeming to emanate off of an ABC News story uh, that said that Mark Meadows, the president's former chief of staff, uh, had received immunity uh, to testify, presumably, against President Donald Trump uh, in D.C. in front of a D.C. grand jury. Now, I had uh, reporters uh, from the New York Times uh, and the Washington Post Uh, and uh, the Associated Press, among others, tell me that they don't think that report is entirely accurate. Uh, And then, really clouding the situation, and this perhaps is the downside of social media, uh, somebody posted a claim uh, that Mark Meadows, former member of Congress, uh, who, by the way, I've, uh, I've no member of ever speaking to. I may have met him years ago in the green room at Fox when he was a congressman prior to the Trump presidency, but who I most never, most definitely never spoke to on January 5th or 6th, contrary to congressional testimony by one of his aides, uh, but that he was allegedly wearing a wire uh, and uh, working for the FBI as an informant the entire time that he was serving as President Donald Trump's chief of staff. Uh, I'm happy to say that his attorney put out a vehement denial of that. Yeah, and the person who reported it put out a retraction and an apology online. So I would say this, there's a lot of people who are trying to subtle scores right now and uh, I, you know, I, I think that we should let the facts come out during this trial and not let these smears and leaks and lies try to control the narrative before the trial. Um, I, you know, from what I can tell, it seems like Mark Meadows is a good man who was loyal to Trump and remains loyal to Trump. And uh, that's the evidence that I have. And that's what I've seen. So we'll, we'll see if that changes, but that's the evidence we have right now. Well, grand jury testimony is supposed to be secret. Uh, That's not to say it never leaks, but it rarely leaks from the person testifying. Uh, We do have a book by Mr. Meadows in which 
he does assert that he believes that there were irregularities and anomalies in the 2020 election. I really think this underlines the one of the dangers uh, of uh, social media. Now, I'm a I'm a free speech absolutist. Uh, I hated it when uh, I was unilaterally banned in 2017 from Twitter, now known as X, uh, from Facebook, uh, where I'm still banned for life. By the way, folks, there is a Roger Stone uh, on Facebook. Uh, he uses my image. He uses my bio from X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, whoever this person or persons are, they often post things, uh, cross-posting from my uh, posts uh, at X, uh, where I'm pretty judicious about what I say, frankly. Uh, but that person is not me. Uh, and if you follow that person or persons uh, or entity, you are not following me. Strangely enough, I've complained, uh, had my attorney complain. Uh, other friends of mine who are still admitted on Facebook have complained. Uh, but the uh, profile persists. Uh, don't follow that individual or individuals because, folks, they are not me. And, of course, I, I fear that someone will seek to put words uh, in my mouth, creating uh, the kind of misimpression that we have just seen. Sorry to take that moment of personal privilege, but, uh, well, I guess I had to do so. Uh, Mike, uh, what is your view uh, of the gag order, uh, which seems in the most recent filing uh, that the government is uh, seeking to uh, tighten uh, against uh, President Donald Trump uh, in D.C.? Now, I myself was submitted uh, to uh, such a, a gag order during my own trial, the government, the judge's argument was that my ability to defend myself on social media, which my social media following at that point was pretty meager. I'd been already banned on Twitter. I didn't have many followers anywhere else, but that it would taint the jury pool. Uh, and therefore, that was the purpose for the gag order. The problem with that, of course, is that the gag order was left in place after I was convicted uh, uh, and prior to me, my being sentenced uh, and right up until the moment that I was sentenced, which kind of disproves that that was the purpose of the gag order to begin with. Mike, is this gag order of Donald Trump unconstitutional? It is absolutely unconstitutional. It is egregious. What happened to you was un-American. What happened... What is happening to President Trump is un-American. A criminal defendant, more than anyone in America, needs the constitutional right to speak out about uh, against the judge, against the court staff, against the prosecutor, against the process. And to gag a criminal defendant during that process is a clear violation of the First Amendment. It's a clear violation of the Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial. Uh, it is uh, it's disgusting what they're doing. It's disgusting that this Biden special counsel, Jack Smith, is teaming up with this obnoxiously partisan D.C. Obama judge, Tanya Shutkin, and and trying to gag President Trump. Now, Trump 
filed a very strong legal brief after the gag order, and Tanya Chunkin, uh, she put her gag order on hold temporarily because I think she realized how badly she screwed up. And I, President Trump should take this to the Supreme Court uh, if necessary because you have these highly partisan, uh, oftentimes Obama-appointed, obnoxious, district court judges in D.C. who do not care about the rule of law. They only care about getting their political enemies and the, and the political results, the Marxist. You have the D.C. Stat, uh, you have the Obama stat D.C. Circuit, which is the Court of Appeals for the D.C. District Court. So the Supreme Court, which has discretionary review, these Republican-appointed justices on the Supreme Court are going to have to put on their big boy pants uh, at some point, and they're going to have to intervene on these highly partisan cases. These, this is election interference. These are republic-ending tactics. These Supreme Court justices have lifetime tenure. They have pay protection, and they have to do their damn jobs. And that includes batting down these highly partisan judges who do these blatantly unconstitutional things. The First Amendment protects Americans, not the government. The Sixth Amendment protects criminal defendants' right to a fair trial, not the government's right to a fair trial. But the local D.C. criminal rules to which Jack Smith and Tanya Shuck incite 57.7, I believe is what it is, it protect, the whole point of a gag order is to protect the, uh, the accused, the criminal defendant, to make sure he gets a fair trial. It's not to protect the government and Jack Smith and his staff or the court and their staff. Uh, I'm not an attorney, uh, that's for sure, but uh, does the president not have to first, uh, 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 first, I guess, the judge has to make a ruling. So she stayed her gag order uh, based on a motion by Trump's lawyers, which I read, uh, and uh, since then the government uh, has come forward, I think it was last Friday, perhaps it was last Thursday, uh, with uh, uh, a, an assertion uh, that Trump had uh, threatened uh, Mark Meadows, his former chief of staff, uh, based on the entire contra temps that we discussed uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, but from a procedural point of view, uh, does the judge have to not first rule on the gag order, Trump appeal that to the circuit court uh, before the Supremes could reach down and consider that question, or do I have that wrong? No, that's that's exactly right. And for Jack Smith to say that Trump is threatening, threatening witnesses, it's absurd. It's so absurd that the ACLU, a group that hates President Trump, actually felt compelled to, to intervene and file a motion saying how absurd this is. There is a reason Jack Smith got banished to the Hague. He got unanimously reversed eight to nothing by the Supreme Court. It would have been nine to nothing, but Justice Scalia passed away after Jack Smith brought a highly partisan, illegal uh, criminal prosecution against former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, a likely presidential or vice presidential candidate in 2016. It is very hard <clears throat> for the prosecutor to get reversed by the Supreme Court. It is nearly impossible for that to happen unanimously. And Jack Smith found the way. He should be he should be out of the practice of law. He is a partisan hack. 
He is a disgrace to the legal to the legal profession, and it's truly embarrassing that this D.C. Obama judge Tanya Shutkin is so partisan and or so ignorant that she's going along with Jack Smith's partisan games. Uh, it, it would seem to me, since the Constitution says says that political free, free speech is particularly protected, uh, that. Trump's status as a presidential candidate, where he's duly filed with the Federal Election Commission, uh, and obviously an active candidate for president, uh, that that would be a factor uh, in the decision regarding this gag order. But in previous uh, transcripts that I've read uh, of the uh, of the proceeds uh, proceedings uh, in the D.C. courtroom. The judge has generally rejected that argument, saying she didn't even call him President Trump, by the way. She always refers to him as Mr. Trump. I find that interesting. Uh, uh, she has essentially rejected that argument from the get-go. Yeah, because she's a partisan clown, and she proves every day that she's in that courtroom with President Trump that she's a partisan clown. Of course, the First Amendment provide, provides much greater protections for presidential candidates because it's dealing with political speech. As you said, and our entire justice system involves separation of powers. Do we really want to go down the path? This is the first time ever that a former president or a leading presidential candidate, any major presidential candidate, has been indicted by his political and uh, by his political enemies justice department we are in unprecedented territory and the reason it's unprecedented is because you're not supposed to do this unless it's in the most extreme cases and they have the, the biden president biden merrick garland jack smith and all these goons in the biden justice department have politicized and weaponized our justice system to go after their political enemies whether it's trump Trump's top aides, Trump's advisors like you, uh, Trump supporters, Christians praying outside of abortion clinics, parents outraged by gender chaos and the resulting bathroom rapes in high schools. This is not our parents or grandparents' Democrat Party. These are not liberals who love America. These are Obama leftists. These are Marxists, and they are they are they are destructive to our country. And that is why it is so critically important that President Trump is back in the White House after November 5th, 2024, because our our country is on the line. These are Republican tactics by the Democrats. And do you want President Biden replacing Clarence Thomas with Tanya Shutkin on the Supreme Court? Or do you want Donald Trump replacing Clarence Thomas with someone like Amul Thapar on the Supreme Court. That's what this next election is all about. It's our, it's our God-given rights to speak, to associate, to worship, to protect ourselves. Our country is on the line on November 5th, 2024. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, I'm Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show here on 77 WABC Radio. Uh, and we're talking to Mike Davis, uh, former senior counsel to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, about uh, various issues uh, over the last past week uh, pertaining uh, to the tsunami of uh, lawfare uh, against uh, President uh, Donald Trump. 
Uh, Mike, what do you make of these stories uh, last Thursday, I guess it was, uh, that, uh, that the FBI uh, and the U.S. attorney in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, had reports from 40 different, I believe, human sources uh, of corruption uh, on behalf of, uh, I believe it was, a vice president then, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and the based on everything that I have seen, uh, the Pittsburgh prosecutor forwarded this information to prosecutors in D.C., uh, in Delaware, and in California, all of whom had some jurisdiction, uh, whereupon virtually all of it died. Now, this was uh, brought to the fore by Senator Chuck Grassley, who at this juncture, uh, with the retirement of the great Orrin Hatch, who I think was the other great U.S. senator uh, of the last several decades, I think is one of the greatest men in the U.S. Senate, perhaps one of the greatest men in U.S. Senate history in terms of his integrity uh, and his uh, and his courage. What did you make of this report? Yeah, and I agree with you. I work for Senator Chuck Grassley, and I agree with you on all those things. And I would say, remember that Bill Barr got this evidence in the last six months of the Trump administration, right? And actually, the last year of the Trump administration, he sent this evidence <clears throat> that President Biden and his family were corrupt by tens of millions of dollars in foreign bribes and corruption, including the Burisma allegation. <clears throat> Bill Barr sent it to the Pittsburgh U.S. attorney who deemed these allegations credible. And so then Bill Barr, for some reason, sent it to the Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss, the Delaware U.S. Attorney who was handpicked by both Democrat home state senators. Uh, and David Weiss buried that evidence for many years. And it sounds like and it, it sounds like other U.S. Attorney's offices, including L.A. and D.C., have buried this evidence for many years. This is corruption to its core in, in the Justice Department, right? And these are not only is it the, not only is it the Biden <clears throat> Justice Department officials. You had uh, uh, Bill Barr, who didn't seem to uh, care too much. He, you know, if you have a if you have credible evidence that a a likely uh, president of the United States, or at least a a uh, leading presidential contender, is corrupted by foreign bribes and corruption, you would think as the Attorney General of the United States, you would follow up on that. You would probably want to alert congressional leadership on a bipartisan basis. So we're not in a nightmare scenario where a sitting president of the United States is corrupt and compromised by illegal bribes as the vice president of the United States. And that's exactly the situation that we're in right now. The president of the United States is corrupt. He's compromised. And this has a disastrous effect on, um, on America. Do you think that Russia would have invaded Ukraine if he if they didn't if Russia didn't know that Biden was corrupt and compromised by these foreign bribes and other corruption. It's also going to embolden China to, to go in after Taiwan if, if China knows that the president is weak and corrupt and compromised. And so the Biden the, the Justice Department as a whole, from the political leadership to these so-called career assistant U.S. attorneys, they're corrupt. This is this is a politicized and weaponized department of our federal government. And when President Trump is back in office, 
after January 20th, 2025, he needs to clean house at the Justice Department. He needs to clean house at these intel agencies because we're not going to, our country is not going to last very long if we continue down this path of a politicized and weaponized justice system, law, law enforcement agencies and intel agencies. Uh, this is uh, one of my greater concerns is that uh, we already have obviously a hot war uh, in Ukraine uh, to which we have put in <clears throat> in excess of $200 billion. Uh, Zelensky, President Zelensky is asking for more. Uh, we now have our allies in Israel who, in my opinion, need assistance. But I would hope that that assistance does not include on the ground or the use of the U.S. Air Force, although late last week there were reports of U.S. fighter jets attacking Hamas targets in Syria. Uh, I hope that is not a slippery slope. Uh, but my fear is uh, that as the Chinese see us mired in a two-front war, uh, decide to make their move on Taiwan, uh, and uh, because of Taiwan's monopoly on the production of computer chips, uh, that that has a seriously deleterious effect on the U.S. stock market, which in turn has an extraordinarily uh, negative uh, impact uh, on the U.S. economy. That is, that is really my greatest single fear. Uh, and uh, given that this administration uh, seems compromised, certainly when it comes to China, uh, I don't think that that's, an out, that that's an outrageous assumption. I don't think that's an untoward fear. No, I agree with you. And this is, remember, we had four years of peace and prosperity under President Trump. These our enemies, our adversaries, there's no way in hell they would do what they're doing under President Biden because they they know that President Trump was a strong, decisive leader and he would not tolerate this. And then we have this weak, compromised buffoon of a president and Joe Biden and our enemies are eating America's lunch. And this is very dangerous for the rest of the world. We are distracted in Ukraine. What what Putin did in Ukraine is terrible. Putin's a monster. We get that. But this is a Europe problem, right? Why is this an America problem? And are we willing to go to World War III to save three Russian-speaking provinces in eastern Ukraine? The, uh, Ukraine's interest and America's interest are not aligned in Ukraine. Uh, we uh, Ukraine stands stands the chance of losing everything in this war against Russia. America does not. And this is why Ukraine is trying to drag America into this war, because Ukraine has everything to lose. We do not. It's terrible what's happening, and Europe should step up and start taking care of Ukraine, because this is a Europe problem. Russia threatens Europe. We need to be focusing on our allies. We need to be focusing on our national security interests, and that includes Israel and Taiwan. And we need to stop being distracted, like you said, Roger, by the, the this, this silly war in Ukraine that America should not be involved with. So uh, with the newest election of Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana, uh, uh, Mike Davis, do you think that there will be 
a new aggressiveness, perhaps even including subpoenas, uh, in the House investigation, the House Oversight investigation, the House Judiciary Committee investigation, uh, into the corruption of the Bidens, particularly in light of these new revelations by Senator Grassley. Yes, absolutely. Speaker Mike Johnson is uh, the best that we can hope for. He is outstanding. He is a brilliant lawyer, uh, constitutional scholar, uh, uh, committed conservative, just an all-around good man, good person. So it is very good that he is the Speaker of the House, and I'm very happy we had three weeks of chaos to get to this point, and we should cheer Congressman Matt Gates for forcing this because we finally have a Speaker of the House who is uh, who represents uh, real Americans and real America. He's a conservative. He, he's he's a religious person. He's a great person for the job. He's the perfect man at the at the right time to be in there because our country is heading off of a cliff, and Speaker Mike Johnson can help right that ship. And part of that is oversight over this corrupt president and his corrupt administration that we have, like we discussed, we have a clearly compromised president of the United States. He's taken tens of millions of dollars from China, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, or wherever the hell else he's taken money. It seems like every Biden family member is on the take, except for the five-year-old granddaughter who they finally acknowledged after five years of political pressure. This is a corrupt family. They're rotten. They're a terrible family. This Joe Biden, every, everyone thinks that Joe Biden is this good man. And, you know, uh, he's not. He's a terrible human being. He's rotten to the core. And Mike Johnson, as the Speaker of the House, I think he's going to breathe new life into uh, the, the House Judiciary investigations and unshackle James Comer, who's doing a fantastic job, and let them actually do their jobs and issue subpoenas and enforce those subpoenas on the House floor and enforce those subpoenas and federal court and get to the bottom of all this. All right. I'm afraid we are out of time. A very special thanks to Mike Davis, a former senior counsel to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, head of the Article 3 project. Mike, thank you for joining us here on the Roger Stone Zone. And in the meantime, folks, please stay tuned for my good friend Joe Piscopo with Sundays with Sinatra. <laughs>